This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. This is Kelly and Ramia. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on air community, and everyone's invited. I guess the countdown started a while back for people for the end of January, but for me, it's actually almost here. It's not here yet, but it is the 30th of Jan, so we're getting near the end. It's the Tuesday edition of Kelly and Ramia. Kelly McDonald, Ramia Amadan, hello. How are you? Hello there. Good day. Good. Good, I'm good, good. 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 Uh, I never count down to the end of a month. Okay, me neither. Not typically, but as I've been finding on social media, others share the sentiment with me that January 2024 has felt like a year in and of itself. It is so long. It wow, has felt forever. I, I've heard it said. I've heard it said. I've heard people go on about it. But I find January is always long. Is it, though? Like between Did January it feel this 1st long last and year? March 1st, always long to me. I feel like this will yeah. be a memorable long Jan. And we always talk about how the year is just flying by and time's flying by. And yeah. Not January. Not this month, no. Yes, and especially no. the first 15 days of it. I was going to say. you get past the 20th, okay, it starts to yeah. roll downhill. You get the February Groundhog Day and so it? on, right? is it? Is it because we keep latching on to Happy New Year, start of 2024, and then you not realize how long it's taken? For here, I'd love, I'd love to pull other parts of the world because definitely I think this is a more North American thing mm. that it just feels long due to the weather, due to the fact that all the hype from, like, or the way our, our holidays are, from our Thanksgiving yeah, right yeah. on through to New Year's, everything's just go, 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 slow, 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 slow. That's slow. true. The more fun I'm you January. have in December, the longer January feels probably. Oh, and most people are broke in January. So yes, they want to start things, but they can't do anything. I don't have mm. the money. I have to wait till February. It's true. Uh, it's telling Stacy, who's filling in for Irene uh, for a couple of days as our director on the show, I was telling her yesterday that it's not even about what to do in January, but to start building your agenda for, you know, February, March, April. So you feel like there's things to look forward to, you know, anticipate. Do you remember before the family day? It was brutal. People would be so fa- upset oh, God, in February. Yeah. They just said, it seems just forever. Just as long as Jan. Yeah, thank goodness we have family day to break things up. Um, anyways, let's see what's coming up on today's show. Have something to look forward to for sure. How can you add in vegan and vegetarian sources of protein to your day? We're looking at these sources with nutritionist Julia Karanchis. Well, we're lucky enough today to have actor, comedian, and producer Nick Novicki chatting with us today about the Easter Seals Disability Film Festival, uh, excuse me, Film Challenge. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this on the show before, and how it aims to reshape representation of people with disabilities in the film industry. Looking forward to it. Also, we have our monthly book club because it's the last Tuesday of the month, and we're discussing Emperor of the North, Sir mm. George Simpson, and the remarkable story of the Hudson Bay Company by uh, James Raffan. This was a recommendation by Kelly, so you and I are going to discuss it later on in hour two. Oh, so the recommender will be here. Yeah, <laughs> but the recommender of the book. <laughs> um, Want to get Ontario focused for a second? Oh, Ontario is grief. set to open at least six, but six so far. Uh, service Ontario locations inside Staples stores this Thursday and public and business uh, service delivery minister Todd McCarthy said, having Service Ontario locations inside stores is not new. 
It is only new to Staples Canada. The retail partnership model has in fact been tried, tested and very well received by Ontarians. For the past 15 years, Service Ontario has worked with Canadian Tire, IDA and Home Hardware, Home Hardware as retail partners. Um, the six new service centres will open inside Staples in Oakville, Newmarket, Toronto, Strathroyd, Tilsonburg and Welland. So, I mean, the thing that I want to say is Good. Let's start hiding the new locations so it'll be probably less busy than the locations that all of us go to. The main, main locations. I want to say staples, but I'm not talking about the department store. But, you know, the staple locations that we're the all used to. regular ones. Yeah, the just flagships or whatever. Yeah, just big ones uh, at the center of the city, north, south. We all know where they are or we know in our localities like Scarborough, there was the one service Ontario location it seemed every Scarboroughian goes to. And I'm thinking, okay, if we start hiding them then maybe there'll be less of a lineup uh, but Kels do you first of all when was the last time you went to service Ontario I feel like last year sometime but I can't remember for what yeah I can't remember oh, the last time. um I, I've I've gone for my you know uh, Ontario ID thing yeah, yeah. Our, the non-driver's license, yeah, license the driverless card? ID yeah I think that I had to get that renewed I think that's what I went for or my OHIP uh, Ontario medical card mm -hmm. um I'm caught because at first I was like, you fools, why are we doing this nonsense? Because, of course, I got thinking about getting off a bus, uh, trying to find my way to wherever it is, sort of like you do when you look for the postal depots that are stuck in in, in drugstores and so on, yeah. um, where you go pick up a package that they're too, you know, they, they haven't been able to drop off to you. So that kind of bothered me, but I love the hours idea, because one of the best things about this model is there'll be... Okay, we're told that today, but usually in Ontario, they'll say that the hours will be longer. They'll try that for six months, and then they'll go back to regular hours, right? They'll find an excuse. Mm -hmm. to, Not enough people are there at 6.30 at night. We're closed. We'll be closed at 5. Um, so I do like that possibility. Uh, again, don't like the finding it, but I really have been used to going to a specific location, standing in the, the line where you're circling round and round the inside, like you mentioned, yeah. and getting the service there. So I like that. I probably prefer it, um, but I think going to a place where the hours are better will cut down that that volume, I hope. I hope as well. And the flexibility, oh, absolutely. Sorry, the only other thing I don't like yeah. is the closing of ones. I, okay, you're going to do it, I get it, but there should at least be a location as close to where you're closing. And that better be the mm. way. You know, I know places well, around here, they're closing a few of them, and I'm not sure how close new ones will be to those spots. Yeah, it's back down to the question about accessibility, meaning a lot of different things and including a lot of different features. Like you said, the flexibility of hours, the locations, you know, how far do I have to go for a service Ontario well, and do I have to take a day you off? to it if you're new to yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And how easy or difficult is it to find? You know, maybe there's one in the mall, but I have no idea because I've never tried looking for it because I assumed that there wouldn't be some like this, you know, the more kiosk style, right? So uh, anyways, they, I think that, you know, all bases have to be covered and clearly they're trying to do that at least. Yeah, with some and when you locations. come in the door to, especially at this, you know, a store, you're hoping the person that greets you, hey, welcome here to Staples. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hi, I'm going to Service Ontario. Okay. 
well, can you point me in the direction? Well, I'm not paid Where's by that? Service Ontario. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Can you get a tactile map to the Service Ontario, It's right in the middle there, next to the hockey equipment. Just follow your nose. <laughs> it's next to the Fido kiosk oh, in the yeah. middle of the hallway. All right. We're taking a break and going to chat with Dr. Danielle Johnkind, our veterinarian, after the break, talking about um, the... Uh, sorry, job descriptions of veterinarians. Are they all the same no matter what kind of vet you are or what kind of clinic you work at? We're going to find out right after the break on Kelly and Romia. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Romia will be right back. Sometimes during the break, they tell us that we need to talk a little more for the first little part, you know, as we get guests together and get the tech together. And I think, what will we ever talk about? My goodness. It's always a question. Gals, you have something you want to talk about? The Never McRib. Mind. Oh. The return of it. And the pizza, apparently. Newsflash, yeah, apparently. Remember the pizza. What do you mean, remember? I'm How, was I alive for the remember. pizza? When was let's this see, around? Uh, let's see. Let me carry the four. Yeah, you were around. Seriously? You, they had pizza yeah, in the 90s. Yeah. And McDonald's. You were around. You would have been like four or five years old. And was it like a real crust? Yeah. Four or oh, five yeah. years old. But the, yeah, I'm, I was learning, McDonald's then. I'm learning that I don't think it was all over North America. I'm not sure the U.S. Yeah. had it. I'm not sure how much of Canada had it. Where were so you living? There, let us, when? I was here in London. Okay. I was actually at Fanshawe, and we used to go over there mm. to the McDonald's all the time, and I'd get it. Okay. Well, in the if they bring it back. After the McRib, I guess they'll I get their feelers out. No, really? That garbage McRib. They're all doing it, though, like. this kind of retro. You know, Timmy's is doing oh, yeah. it with the donuts. Well, remember you were on McDonald's, though, for their changing, and you made the statement, oh, I'm going to play things the ex- way they are. That was a completely different food. conversation. Well, there you go. Okay, the I don't want and... any of this uh, spin-off McDonald's stuff. It's not uh, real. And That's look forward, because that old spin-off is, re- is definitely retro from the 80s, but also look forward to your favorite, the Shamrock Shake. <laughs> You know how you like that, too. No, thanks. Yeah. Anyways, that's a good point for us to stop talking about this and move on to Ask of It with Dr. Danielle Johnkind. With companionship and income, food, or serve a critical role in the ecosystems that support us, animals are vital to human health. Have fun with us as we learn about animal-related topics and about the amazing bond we share with our animal friends. We're really getting into... Do you remember it, Danielle, the pizza at McDonald's? Or the McRib? The pizza? I don't think I ever had McDonald's pizza. Mm. Okay. And the McRib? No, I'm not a rib person. There you go. Easy. Even if they were available, I probably wouldn't eat them. Oh, Oh, okay. No, I I never liked it. I wasn't a rib person when it was out. It was like, oh, forget Mm. it. Certain things just don't make sense for McDonald's because it's not as we know it now. So it's no. kind of like, I can't imagine. Yeah, it, but it was good. The bacon double cheeseburger was a good stunt. Yeah, yeah. Pizza yeah, yeah. for a pizza. My favorite is the fries. Mm. I, you oh, know, yeah. I know I shouldn't eat them, and I know they're really bad for me, but, but still, they're really good. <laughs> <laughs> Danielle, uh, we're kind of getting into a meta conversation with you today 
about job descriptions for vets. Uh, we're basically asking the question, if job descriptions for veterinarians are all the same, no matter what kind of clinic you work in, and how the job descriptions may change depending on the circumstances. And you're going to give us a bit of a an insider's look at vet practices <laughs> around this today. So we talk a lot about pets, small animal vets. Um, is there much difference between what a small animal vet does compared to someone who works in another party of the part of the industry, like large animal vets, which you've talked about your history with that with us? Yeah, and you know, of course, like you can imagine, there's there's actually a huge veterinarian and what you know veterinarian or a huge variation, sorry, in what veterinarians do in their mm. job on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, um, getting a veterinary degree and getting licensed, you know, doesn't mean that you have to go work in a veterinary hospital. Um, I think most people have pets have a good idea of what small animal vets do in their job, but, you know, there's a whole range of other things that vets can do with their career, you know. Um, there's a, even a wide variety of different types of the, the doctor type work, you know. Um, for example, in large animal practice, you know, it's more common for vets to have a truck full of equipment and travel from farm to farm to treat their patients. Um, if you're not a farmer, you may not know that these practitioners even do some surgery right on the farm, like oh. particularly if they treat cows. Um, cows are kind of unique in that, you know, you can do major abdominal surgery on them when they're awake and standing in a stall, like you just do a local anesthetic and they just stand there, they don't care, you know. <laughs> it's, uh, it's actually kind Which of surprising. Which are you working on today? Are <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, so, you know, some types of clinical work are very specific and remarkably different, you know, than going to the vet with your pet or calling a vet out to see your horse. Um, we have veterinarians that work only with, like, fish on fish farms and poultry veterinarians um, that do large animal, like, or large commercial flocks and stuff like that. Um, they spend a lot of time, you know, doing things that I would rarely do as a small um, animal veterinarian. And of course, we have veterinarians that um, work with zoos or aquariums. And when even if you're not doing the doctor type work, you know, there's there's other career paths that a vet might choose. So um, some of us will opt to get more than just our DVM degree and we'll stay in schools to get a master's or a PhD. Um, some of these people will go on to do research or teach in veterinary schools. Um, and some will pursue a specialty. You know, they'll go on and do extra training to become cardiologists or dermatologists or what have you. Um, and they also work in a variety of other industries that aren't related to, you know, scientific or hospital clinical types, type stuff as well. Well, you have me so surprised. Just, just some of the things. You know, not blown away here. So I think my that that pursuing what you just mentioned is probably going to surprise me a little more. What kind of other industries will you find veterinarians working in? Well, you know, the pet food industry is a big one. Um, there are specialties that veterinarians can pursue in pet nutrition, so they often work in the pet food industry. Sometimes um, so do general practitioners. Um, some will work in like an office type of research setting, but others will be an educational role, you know, informing people mm. about what's new in nutrition and what's new with the products the company they work for carries. 
Um, another industry needing vets, of course, is the pharmaceutical industry. Um, so veterinary research help develop new therapies for animals. Um, they monitor the health of lab animals that are used in research. Um, and, the, you know, the government employs a lot of veterinarians, particularly the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. So, you know, their job is to make sure animal food products are safe and to monitor the important export of animals into and out of Canada. And, you know, they do things like, you know, watch for and guard against, investigate occurrences, you know, of any foreign diseases yes. that could be a threat to animals and people here. So, you know, these are just a few of the things that, you know, a vet can do in other industries. That's a lot of inspectors kind of thing. Yeah, and, you know, it doesn't even count some of the more unusual ones I've seen advertised or heard of people doing. Yeah, I was going to say, these ones pretty much make sense, especially the educational aspect or research aspect, mm -hmm. right, and just consultation and such. But what are some of the most unusual places you've heard of vets working at? Well, sometimes we're, we seem to be hidden in plain sight. Like, you know, reality TV seems to be a big one these days, <laughs> you know? Sure. I mean, there's tons of shows like The Amazing Dr. Pole is one that comes to mind, you know, where camera crews seem to be following veterinarians around. Um, given the popularity of these shows, there do, there do seem to be a lot of them out there. Um, in a similar vein, I've even seen advertisements for veterinarians to apply to work on Hollywood movie sets. And, you know, their job there is to ensure the safety and humane treatment of animals used in filming. And, you know, personally, I kind of saw that, and I was like, wow, that would be a really cool job. But for one little problem, you know, you, you have to be comfortable with all kinds of unusual animals, including big spiders. And, you know, and I read that, and I was like, nope, <laughs> definitely not a job for me. <laughs> what, with your affinity to spiders and all? Okay. Yeah, no, I'm, I don't have an affinity for spiders. <laughs> I, I like them if they're up in a web far away from me, but That's as right. soon as they start coming anywhere near me, I'm like, nope, nope. Yeah. We'll just yeah. leave you're, that you're, good with, you're good with Charlotte, long as she stays on TV. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so with that being said, let's talk about the small animal practice small animal then. Practice. I mean, there wouldn't be much difference between job duties there, would there? surprised. Um, one thing can, that can really affect what a vet does on a day-to-day -day basis are, of course, the veterinarians themselves. Um, like everyone else, of course, we're people who have strengths and preferences, you know, and so sometimes even if we don't specialize, you know, we might gravitate toward the types of cases we have more of an interest in, like behavior or dermatology or surgery. Um, you know, I've never actually owned my own practice, but I imagine it must be a challenge for practice owners to put together a team that kind of complements each other. Um, so, you know, the vet who loves surgery might take on the more difficult surgical cases, while the one who loves the complicated medicine cases might take those instead. Um, the other thing that can really impact what a veterinarian does at work, of course, is how many and what type of support staff they have. You know, if, if you have a lot of highly trained support staff, like a lot of registered veterinary technicians, you know, um, your time might be spent doing only things veterinarians can do, you know, so examinations, interpreting lab results, writing records, surgery, those kinds of things. Um, they can person working in that situation can come out of an exam room and just kind of give the pet off to their staff and say, go and draw blood and take some x-rays and I'll go wait for the report and go on with appointments while you do that. But, you know, if there's not a lot of support staff, you know, that's 
um, end up doing a lot more of this sort of hands-on stuff themselves, taking blood, collecting urine, um, doing x-rays, that kind of stuff. And, you know, if, if you're in a bit of a smaller practice, sometimes you kind of have to wear a lot of hats in order to get the job done. And some of them may not even be related to veterinary medicine. Mm. Yeah, a bit of a teaser, right? I mean, I don't think it's unlike any other industry where, um, depending on how the practices run, people kind of do a little bit of everything. But I am curious what hats you've had to wear at your job. <laughs> well, you know, in, in my experience, people tend to forget that, you know, vets have interests and hobbies outside of work, you know, mm -hmm. that are unrelated to their work as veterinarians. And sometimes, you know, those interests translate into useful skills that occasionally your employer takes advantage of, which is great. So I actually love to draw, you know, and do art stuff, oh, crafts, wow. that kind of thing. So I have done all kinds of art stuff for work over the years. You know, I've made posters for open house events, signs for clinic signs for just about everything. Um, I was responsible for coming up with topics and designs for a waiting room bulletin board. Oh, cool. You know, one of my coworkers said, you should have been a kindergarten teacher. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> And another thing I'm really into, of course, at home is sustainability. So, you know, I put on my little sanitation engineer hat to take the waste cardboard to the recycling facility at lunch sometimes, right? <laughs> and occasionally staff shortages have, you know, forced me to become a receptionist, a janitor, a technician. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know? These are all hats I've worn at one time or another. And, um, you know, but if you're a man down because of illness or yeah. somebody has to leave, you know, you've got to pull together and get everything done. And I'm not going to watch the phone ring if I'm waiting for my next patient to arrive and everyone right. else is busy. That would just mm. be silly. So. All and hands on deck. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, for sure. And one time I even worked for a place where we did um, a fundraiser where we put in a beach volleyball team. So I put on my <laughs> athlete's hat is not such a great hat for me to wear, but <laughs> we played beach volleyball and it was fun. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Well, Danielle, you have told us that, you know, there it, there is a lot of friendliness and just that kind of family rapport around the clinic where you work anyways, and, and I guess it, it continues that way when you're talking about just filling in and everybody doing a little bit of everything when, mm -hmm. when you need it. Uh, but this has been really insightful overall. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Less spiders on the beach, right? Yeah. No spiders. <laughs> yeah, that's why she likes that. No spiders on the beach. Dr. Danielle Johnkind joins us for Ask a Veterinarian on Tuesdays. That's a weekly convo that you can also revisit on our podcast platform of Kelly and Remia. After the break, we have the bi-weekly nutrition segment with Julia Karanchis. She's going to tell us how we can add some vegetarian and vegan options for protein for our daily intake. We'll be right back. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. All right, well, uh, Beth says Cody's out to go get a McRib because we reminded him. You're welcome, Cody. And Beth herself has never had a McRib yet. Not really trying to either by the sounds of it because she doesn't think it sounds very appealing or appetizing. No, it's not. Yeah. I don't even know if I would or wouldn't like them. I just feel like it 
it's wrong. Like, it doesn't feel like a McDonald's item. I don't know. I don't know. Well, that's the way I felt when they first came out. I kept thinking, imagining chewing a burger and having rib bones and stuff in it. That was, it just turned <laughs> okay. me right I off. I don't it, think it's which that, obviously, though, right? <laughs> no, no, no. But I and, could and not get that And it potentially could be good. I just feel like it shouldn't oh, be on the McDonald's menu. Like, how judgy yeah. is that? I, I don't think I love the sauce, but again, you know... Well, like I think the barbecue I found sauce? Is that what they yeah, do? I, just, I think it's rib sort sauce? of like a barbecue sauce, yeah. but you know they have their own. It's more of like a, like you say, a rib sauce. Yeah. But I found it a bit too sweet and a bit overwhelming. Um, but I love that, but though. again... I can only take so much ribs, so I, you know, I tell people like, yeah, I don't think it's a horrible food. It's just no. not a food. Why I Why in a sandwich? Um, because I think that's keeping people like you thinking McDonald's is doing what it does. Yeah, I'm not right? fooled, Mickey D's. Yeah, like it's sort of like when they came out with the Black Angus burger, right? They had to make sure it's got to be a burger. You know, you got to, you can't have this nice, beautiful roast beef sandwich. People won't buy it. They'll oh, say, "Stop ripping that's Arby's not off. McDonald's." Yeah, and then they make a spinoff and then say, "Here, get it at this venue instead." Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, we'll <clears throat> put that away. Put 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 that away. We'll, yeah, we'll no, we can't. That we can't start on this note oh, with no, this convo. No, no. Oh, good heavens, no! Uh, <clears throat> every other Tuesday, we're joined by nutritionist Julia Carantis. Hi, I'm Julia Courageous. Join me on Kelly and Remya as we dive into the wonderful world of nutrition and wellness with tips to stay healthy and live a vibrant lifestyle. So right there, stay healthy, live that vibrant lifestyle. Maybe you forgo the McRib. And here's some incentive. Unless you want to say to something so. about it, Julia. Well, however, though, I mean, I mean, today we're chatting a little bit about how to add vegan and vegetarian sources oh, of so protein. So the opposite. Yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah. like I said, we'll just file that away over here. Uh, welcome back, Julia. Thanks. We can always add yeah, in parentheses if you want to say something, though. I just wonder when we start like this, how much cussing at us she's doing while waiting. You idiots, we're yeah. going to talk about this. Stop! <laughs> Yeah, because I can hear everything, right? I'm listening. Yeah. I'm a I'm a participant in the Good. in the listening realm. Um, I mean, it would be a full serving of protein, so I have no qualms yeah. about it in that regard. But again, I mean, I was chuckling with with uh, what you were saying, Ramya, because I don't know if I would order it either. Although I wouldn't order it only oh, because wait. a burger is my absolute favorite food, and so if there is ever an opportunity for me to eat a burger, mm. I would have a hard time choosing something that wasn't a burger. Yeah, like for a me, rib sandwich. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if um, it was bad, I always... then I would be upset. That I yeah, and that, that's what I found burger. about that. But, Julie, are you pretty fussy about the burgers, or will you pretty well eat any? But, like, I mean, when they started coming out with the Black Angus burger, better quality of meat, apparently, of course. Um, but did did you care, or did you just say, just give me the burger? Yeah, it's Black Angus. Give it to me. It costs more. Oh, Yeah, on. I'm not I'm not overly fussy about the burger, but I do want it to taste like a burger. Like, yeah. I don't, if it's yeah. got too much of the onions or the mushrooms or the bacon, then I kind of lose, like, Oh, you burger, want the beef cheeseburger taste? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I want it to taste like a burger. I like right. that in the my... Crystal's burgers I when I was down in the States. I like the onion <laughs> and the Crystal's burgers. Oh, boy. Uh, Julia, Anyways, sorry, can I yes. move along, please? Yeah. <laughs> Pivoting yeah, because... away from the meat. <laughs> yeah. We we are talking about protein today. I wanted to I wanted to chat about it because it's hard to get a lot of protein enough protein. Let's talk about that. It's hard to get enough protein in your diet. And we've talked about protein a couple of times Mm -hmm. 
over the years on this segment in terms of meals, snacking, portions, where we can get it from. And I'm going to revisit kind of all of it today, um, but we're going to strictly talk about vegan and vegetarian sources and how to put them in our day because protein is really, really important. And I don't mm -hmm. quite know if everybody realizes that all the time. I mean, it, it repairs all the tissues. It's also really important for our aging population because they're at a higher risk for muscle wasting, right? Like losing their muscle tissue. And that's what's really going to help them keep them mobile in later years. Yes. And then yeah, you know, for think... the rest of us, Go yeah, ahead, I was just saying it also, you know, for the rest of us in our day to day, it really helps to keep our energy levels up and stable, which is equally as important. Yeah. I think people forget protein and they associate it too much with meat. And we yeah. have too much meat, this and that, and we don't think about the other ways of getting it. So what would qualify as that vegan source or, or protein versus vegetarian source? Yeah. So if it came from an animal but isn't the flesh of that animal, which is such a gross word, it's like moist, um, <laughs> it would be a vegetarian source. If it came from a non-animal source, so a plant, for example, like tofu, which comes from the soybean, then then it's considered vegan. Um, but like a vegetarian would eat food that came from an animal, like an egg or a yogurt, but they just wouldn't eat the actual animal. And then there's the vegan that won't eat anything that comes from an animal. Um, and you can get protein sources from both types of food. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're going to chat about today. Yeah, I was going to say, it's good that we're starting with the basics because I, I was going to say originally that like there's so much misconception around protein altogether. But yeah, first, let's break down every single term that we're using here. So yeah. give us examples of vegan sources of protein other than tofu, because I think tofu, you know, stands for itself in the reputation realm. It, it does. I feel like and it's always what people go to first in their mind. Yeah. And they think, oh, I don't like tofu. And then North America, it, yeah. It, they've checked out. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's also tempeh, which is still made from the soybean, but it has a completely different texture than tofu. It's much harder and much more solid. You can cut it into cubes, like chunks, and it will hold up really well okay. in things like stir fries. And you can get hmm. flavored ones, but you can also get plain where it will absorb the flavors of whatever you're cooking with it. You know, if you're using garlic you know gar lots of garlic or soy sauce for example and so that's great to add in two things or also have a, as a standalone and then there's legumes which we've talked about numerous times things like lentils and chickpeas edamame um mm -hmm. usually you can get them frozen as the actual little beans but you can also right. get the whole edamame pod and you know eat it as you would if you were going out for sushi which is you know can be so a fun, fun experience it's fun yeah um, quinoa and then various nuts and seeds, uh, peanuts, for example, an ounce of peanuts gives you eight grams of protein, which is not an entire serving, but it's certainly a great place to start. Eight grams is, is good, is a, you know, a good snack. Almonds, an ounce of almonds would give you six. So a little bit inferior to the peanut, but still pretty decent. Um, and so those, those are great too. And then things like whole grains that are not just oatmeal and whole wheat. So spelt, kamut, um, you can find these as flowers and you can also find pre-baked items that are made with these and they'll have some amino acids in them too, which is, we 
you know, those uh, key nutritional components that we get from protein. So all of that would be a great, you know, great vegan option. It's great. Yeah. And then you're adding protein with all the other stuff you're combining into the meals or combos of things. Mm-hmm. Um, when you talk about the consistency of tempeh, just going back to that super quick, is it firmer than firm tofu? Because now you can get yeah. tofu in different consistencies, right? Oh, really? Uh, yeah. It, oh. It's not, what's it like? It's sort of like a soft, like if, if you've ever eaten a Rice crispy Square, you can, in your mouth, you can sort of tell that there are individual little yes. Rice Krispies. Yeah. So tempeh sort of has a similar texture, but it doesn't fall oh. apart as fast. But it's oh, not okay. smooth like Right, it's know, not like a piece of squash, feeling. like when you cut up squash right. and you get okay. that more solid texture, right. like a cube, a cube. Yeah, okay. yeah. Do we want to talk about how to incorporate some of these things yeah. into our day in, in a convenient way? Yeah, well, exactly, right? I mean, okay, great. Now we've listed them. How do we eat them? Yeah. Because it's not going to be easy for everybody. So um, so for the vegan group, there's a variety of things you could do. You can snack on, obviously, nuts or seeds. So you can have an ounce of peanuts or an ounce of almonds as a snack with some fruit. If you are a vegetarian, you can pair this with a half a cup of Greek yogurt, which would increase that protein content by 12 grams. You know, so you've got, let's say, eight grams from the peanuts and then 12 grams from the yogurt as a snack. That's 20 grams, which is essentially a serving. So that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you could also, I mean, you could just also leave out the leave out the yogurt if you don't want to have it. You could also use a vegan yogurt. Now, not all vegan yogurts will have the same protein content. um, So that might be something to pay attention to. But if you eat Greek yogurt, it's great to start. You can also buy dried chickpeas. So not everyone wants to eat chickpeas or put them on a salad or roast them, but you can buy them pre-packaged, which is really great for this day and age because we we do like foods of convenience. Yeah, I do too. And the, the the fun thing for your mouth is that you can also find different flavors. So yep. that helps with variety. It also helps with maybe how you're feeling that day. You know, you want something spicy, more salty, more savory. So you can not get bored of it as easy. Yeah, and and I, think, I think that's what I find with the anamami, right? Because I'm yeah. always, what I'm used with is having that amount of salt on it. And whether that's... Oh, good. It, like we looked at the protein being... <laughs> sometimes treated like a villain and of course our friend salt the same yeah. thing so there you go yeah. the two of them are are teaming up there but it's it really makes the animami yeah i agree 100% um the the chickpeas like a half a cup of those that portion is 10 grams of protein i mean you can awesome. carry a they're so awesome. And the nice thing, I get very excited about this. The nice thing is it also gives you fiber. So it's a win-win, right? Fiber is going to keep you satiated. Yeah. The protein is going to help with energy levels. And the chickpeas are so convenient. They're not going to melt. You don't have to keep them refrigerated. They don't take up a lot of space. Mm-hmm. So you can put them in like a bag, a briefcase, a backpack, your pocket, if you want to, a coat pocket, like a little Ziploc bag of them. So that's such a great snack option i feel Mm -hmm. um if you eat cottage cheese and i know this one is always super controversial i love it too i just put it on the grocery list and you know what's the weirdest thing for me is i've always even as a kid liked the texture and i'm sure that's one of the biggest complaints you hear about 100 yeah yeah the texture doesn't suit everybody um you can also 
make things with cottage cheese or you could put it in a blender and make like pancakes so that could be a oh, way yeah. to fortify foods which is a whole other step and i understand that it's not convenient but if you eat cottage cheese a half a cup of it is 15 grams of protein oh, so wow. more than yeah like it's it's a it's a great serving um and this amount this half a cup makes such a great snack size um you can also add you know cinnamon and chopped apple to it or chopped grapes. I always thought grapes and cottage cheese with such a delicious flavor combination. Um, so that's always been a go-to for me, but you could also eat it on its own. So, mm. you know, stick that. Even with the little oranges, it. right? You know, the yeah. nice just flavor it, it yourself. Yeah, yeah. 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 But Absolutely. I do like the cottage cheese taste itself too. So yes. I've always been careful because I love it. I do too. I do too. It like hits this really nice salty note if you want something savory. You know, it, it hits a good note on the taste buds. Um, and eggs, I nev never, if you eat eggs, never underestimate the nutritional power of an egg. You know, you can hard boil them, which also makes it super, super convenient. These things can be prepped ahead of time, days ahead of time, yes. you can do it the night before. You can also do it the morning of. I mean, it takes, you know, depends on how yolky or solid you like the yolk, but uh, you know, nine minutes in boiling water and it's a, it's a decent hard boiled egg and that can be carried around pretty easily and yeah. that uh, you know two eggs is 12 grams of protein wow so it makes a great snack option mm -hmm. of course and you can just add it on the side of anything you can really oh, just like yeah. a lot of other proteins most meat oh, sources yeah. but still uh real yeah. quick right before next to your we go bread, no um we've talked about a lot of different snack options and kind of mixing and matching things as we like but how about meals and making sure protein is incorporated that way yeah, because this should definitely be a focus. Um, okay, so if you're making soup, like a pureed soup, puree tofu into it. That's such a great way. If you have an immersion blender or a blender that you can blend hot things in or just wait till the soup is cold, you can blend tofu into the soup. And it does, I've done this many times. It mixes really nice if you have a good blender. So that's a great way to add a vegan source of protein into a meal so that you're not just having a bowl of soup, which has lots of other nutritional value, but it usually lacks the protein. Um, you can also blend in chickpeas. So that's a great way to naturally thicken a soup while also fortifying it with protein. I've made a couple of mushroom soup recipes where it called for chickpeas as the thickener and as the protein source. So that's also great. So really interesting ideas there. Um, and then for soups or stews that you don't puree, you know, add in the edamame, add in yeah, a black sure. bean or a lentil mm. or the tempeh. So the, you know, these foods, the nice thing about the vegan foods is that they don't really require cooking. And so they can be, they can be added in really quickly last minute. You don't have to pre-cook anything, which makes it so convenient and a great way to, to add it in. All right. Fantastic, Julia. We'll talk in a couple of weeks. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Julia is not going to go out and enjoy a McRib, folks. Guarantee it. Folks, Julia Karanchis, join her every two Tuesdays on the program. Every other Tuesday, opposite wellness with Francis Wong. Uh, oh, yeah, that's your job today. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. I'll After the break for our next conversation, we're checking in with actor, comedian, and producer Nick Novicki, uh, who is the creator of the Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge. We're going to get into the reshaping of representation of people with disabilities in the film industry. Like I said, after the break on Kelly and Ramia.
Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. It's Kelly and Ramya, where we get into a variety of conversations weekdays on AMI-tv, AMI-audio, and on your favorite podcast platform. I'm Ramya Amuthan with Kelly McDonald. And Kels, I will say, I think I overboil my eggs. I'm I a huge hard-boiled oh, yeah. eggs person. Okay, how oh, long yeah. do you boil your eggs for? Oh, gosh. Do you actually time well, it or I'm... you just kind of let it go? Well, I used to go just by the sound. Right, but I started out timing, and I didn't like that because they start doing a certain the way the tap is as they're bouncing in the water. They rattle, yeah, yeah. You'll hear the the rattle becomes more solid. Right, it was the soft-boiled eggs I found really hard to do. I'm not even a fan of those. Those I have to do clocks. I I go 13 minutes. Like now, I actually set a timer once the thing starts boiling. But Julia Carrange in her last segment said nine. She said nine. Well, yeah, I think you're supposed to try nine, nine, but I swear, it's having the confidence in it. That to me is 13 is really long. It's in my egg. Good yeah. grief. You know, now 13. people air fry their eggs to, to hard boil them. Yeah, I've heard that. I would Tried have once. no idea how My to. egg exploded. It was not a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what I did wrong. That's anyway. why so many of us wish you could just heat it up in the microwave like that and boil it. But that would uh, end up the same way, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? No. Just... You put it in a cup of water, no? I think, or something like that. I don't know. Don't take I my advice thought, on any of this. No, I thought because it's, uh, yeah, I didn't think it would turn out well, but maybe you're right. Yeah. All right. Well, somebody find a video somewhere and not not us, not this. Um, we're going to talk about the Easter Seals uh, Disability Film Challenge. So we're talking to actor, comedian, and producer Nick Novicki, who's the creator of the Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge. And this uh, initiative is to give fellow aspiring filmmakers with disabilities the opportunity to showcase their work, of course, and provide them with meaningful exposure uh, to the film industry. So... It's in its 10th season now. They've been going on a while. We get an annual check-in on this show. And Nick is here to talk about the latest of how representation should be viewed, is viewed, how it's going for disabled filmmakers in the industry. Nick, nice to have you on. Hey, how's it going? It is nice to be here. And, uh, you know, I was listening to all you guys talk. I'm getting hungry. All this eggs and chickpeas. Yeah, we have a bad habit of creating that environment for people. They go away. Yeah, gosh, I'm glad this interview is over because I'm hungry now. Can't you? Or we have to put up with the rumbling stomach. We need people like you to break up the conversations around food on the show because that's all the time. Maybe he'll get into food. Maybe, maybe. Hey, talk about no, the food challenge. I'm, I'm not now sure anybody wants to hear me uh, talk about cooking uh, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I, I'm a, a little bit of an improv specialist myself. Oh, hey, that's okay. the best. That's kind of cool. Um, Rummy in her 13 minute eggs, and who knows what she does yeah, to make it taste edible. Yeah, then we got to deal with the <laughs> overboil. Okay, so Nick, let's talk about this. All right, the film festival or the film challenge, sorry, and Easter Seals. But before that, about you and your career, do you want to tell us a little bit about? Um, um, your trajectory into filmmaking and you as a person with a disability? Sure. So, uh, first of all, hello, everybody. I'm Nick Novicki. I'm a little person with a little bit of scruff on my face. I'm wearing a striped long uh, sleeve shirt. Uh, by trade, I'm a comedian and actor. I've been very lucky and that I've been in over 40 TV shows and movies. I've gotten the chance to work with Martin Scorsese on Boardwalk Empire on The Sopranos, The Good Doctor, most recently in Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, uh, where I played nice. Lego Spider-Man. 
but the majority of my work has been self-driven with me writing and producing and creating my own content because I'm three foot ten. So ultimately, people weren't writing roles that I was really excited to play. And when they were, it was few and far between. So I was like, look, I got to produce it and create it myself. And ultimately, work led to work. And it led to all those opportunities for me. So then uh, now, believe it or not, this is the 11th year. 11 years ago, I created the Disability Film Challenge, which is an annual five-day filmmaking competition where you have to have somebody with a disability in front of or behind the camera. And the whole goal of it was to help other people with disabilities take their career in their own hands and give them opportunities to be in front of industry, but also to build these lasting relationships because yes. we end up hiring each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I undersold and, and, it. It's 11 years. That's awesome. <laughs> and crazy. the thing about it, Nick, that I love, because how can I say this without sounding like too much of a jerk? A lot of time we're so busy trying to do what we're trying to do, trying to achieve what we want to achieve as an individual, we may not think of the other guy and the footsteps that we had to make and leave behind us and not look back and say, hey, man, come along with me to the best of my ability. Here's how I'd like to help you, mm -hmm. as you say, the networking. What inspired you to make the film challenge um, when you said, I, I want other people to come along? I, I want to get people with disabilities, you know, to really have that ability to be represented, be out there and make it easier for all of us to get something. You know, honestly, a lot of it was I just have so many friends with disabilities and I've seen so much talent in the community. First and foremost, mm -hmm. the reason why the challenge has grown so much is because there is so much talent both in front of and behind the camera. But that year one, I, I honestly thought this was going to be a one-off competition to help friends create films. And I thought this would be a one-time thing. And, oh, yeah, I'll just do this. And, you know, five days later, you know, we'll get a couple films. But right away, I saw the impact. And I saw how much the disability community around the world was sharing this. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side, how much the executives and the uh, casting directors and producers and writers were looking for talent like hey how can I find this guy or that girl or and I was like wait a minute we may have something here <laughs> yeah it's really wow. interesting yeah. to hear about how things get started obviously you know now you have 11 years of experience of putting this thing together of uh, outreach and community building but that first time right that you're like i want to bring this out into the world and i want there to be a, a huge impact on this or whatever impact there can be is a really really a challenge um so what's on the table this year so this is the 11th anniversary of the easter sales disability film challenge and it is going to be the biggest and the best year we ever had yes uh, last year our 10th anniversary we had 115 films created from around the world. Huge. So we're hoping to break that record. So uh, those of you that are tuning in, if you're a filmmaker, whether you have a disability, whether you don't, I hope you uh, go to disabilityfilmchallenge.com, register, because you have to register, uh, and then take part in our April 2nd to April 7th film challenge. Beyond the annual film challenge, we do year-round workshops, seminars, and we create networking opportunities for our participants. So if you go to disabilityfilmchallenge.com, you can go to our workshops, uh, many of which take place in Los Angeles, but we are actually live streaming a lot of our workshops and making them fully accessible. So uh, we hope you take part in, in joining the workshops. 
and making a film. And if you're not a filmmaker, but you love disability inclusion, I hope you share the films. Because mm. as I said, last year we had 115 films and they're still screening around the world. So oh, we really That's need awesome. that support. And honestly, it's networks like you guys that really spotlight disability inclusion and you've been so supportive. So I, I can't thank you enough. Well, we well, appreciate that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, of yeah. course. It's a privilege to be in on it because, like, we're always talking about disability, inclusion in every field, everything. Yeah. And this is a great opportunity. I'm curious about when it started to become a worldwide thing, how did that make you feel? And to where that is now, how do you, you manage it? 115 films, so many people participating from around the world. And maybe give people a quick idea of how that happens, how that comes together, especially when we talk umpteen time changes and people having so much time to get the film com you know, completed. Sure, that's a, a great question. You know, ultimately the challenge grew year after year. Uh, in 2017, I partnered with Easter Seals Southern California. Easter Seals is the U.S.'s largest disability services organization. I know they have a big presence in Canada as well. Um, but it just kept growing year after year. And in terms of how it made me feel to have international films made, I mean, it made me feel so great. Because for me, I love to travel. My wife, who's also a little person, and I, that's our passion, going around the world. And we love meeting little people um, in other countries as well as other people with disabilities. And now it's pretty wild that when we go to other countries, we're actually meeting Film Challenge participants too. Mm -hmm. um, and so how does it work in terms of time zones and all of that? So step one, you have to go to disabilityfilmchallenge.com. You need to register by April 1st. And then on Tuesday, April 2nd, um, we set the time zone to be Los Angeles. The full assignment beyond the buddy genre that we already announced is release. And that's themes, props, um, locations that you have to have incorporated in the film so that we know that this film was done over the course of five days. And right. then at the end of the five days on Sunday, April 7th um, at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, all those films are going to be due. Um, and, and again, you'll, you'll register through our website. It'll bring you through filmfreeway.com. And that's where we are able to download your films. So we make it accessible based on the time zone, but ultimately you're on your own time schedule to when you make your film and how you allocate your production. And, uh, you know, the flip side is you're part of this beautiful community where everyone's supporting each other. All the films go live the following weekend. Um, on our YouTube, our Instagram, and our Facebook page. And we have the most films that have people with disabilities both in front of and behind the camera in the entire world uh, oh, being yeah. shared at that time. So it, that, to me, is the most exciting time of the year for me, once all those films go live. Uh, and then I'm finally able to go, ah, I need to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> now you can take a breath. Take a breath. And That's still it. plans for wow. next year. Nick, is there something from last year's film festival, a highlight that really, really sticks with you, whether it be an experience or an actual film submission? You know, all the films mean so much to me. This is first time actors, writers, directors, and producers uh, taking their career in their own hands, as well as seasoned veterans that mm. have been in the game with disabilities for 20 years, waiting for that opportunity. And we've had people getting hired directly from the film challenge. A uh, little kind of cool success story is that, you know, I already mentioned that I'm in Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Well, mm -hmm. also Danielle Perez, a longtime film challenge participant, um, was actually cast to play Sun Spider 
in Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, and she was spotted by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who are Oscar-winning writer producers who are behind that film and they you know put her into this giant major studio movie which was one of the highest grossing movies of the year worldwide that's impressive so that's just one of so many success stories if you go to our uh, website we have success stories uh we had a kickoff video that we did live from sundance which highlighted a lot of success stories and all the amazing prizes this year we're giving out $15,000 production grants to winners wow. of our best that film, is. best director, uh, best actor, writer, uh, editor awards, it's a as huge well as computers, like a- mentor meetings. So it's really an amazing opportunity. Nick, thank you so much. We got to let you go, but we really appreciate your time. All the best. And I know you'll be back on Now with Dave Brown later this week. So hopefully a lot of listenership and a lot of uh, people heading to check out the film challenge. Thank yeah, good you. Good luck to everyone, uh, Nick. Thank you so much. And I'm about to go uh, make an egg right now. All right. All right. Nine, not nine. Let us know how long it takes. Yeah. Okay. Nine (laughs) minutes on that one. Or ten and a half. Split the difference. Anyway, we were speaking with actor, comedian, and producer Nick Novicki, also the creator of the Easter Seals Film Festival Film Challenge. Check it out because lots of great representation for the disability community. Hour two of Kelly and Rumia includes our monthly book club where we're discussing The Emperor of the North with the recommender of the novel, Kelly McDonald. Plus... Hey. We're talking about the secret world of sound, the nature of things. This is an incredible uh, CBC gem feat. But up next, we're talking to Kim Thistle, our community reporter in St. John's, Newfoundland. We'll be right back. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Kelly and Ramia, the Tuesday edition of the show. Of course, you can catch us every weekday on AMI-tv, 2 p.m. Eastern, live on AMI-audio, or go to your favorite podcast platform, which is maybe where you're listening from right now, and find the segments, find the full show pod, and uh, listen to some of the fantastic conversations we have lined up for you every single weekday. I got to say weekday, because what if people are looking for us on Saturdays and Sundays, Kels? Just can't get enough of us. The best of Kelly and Rami ah, on the weekends on go. AMI-TV. There we got it. That's right. Mm-hmm. The only thing is they'll cut off that it's weekend or, or weekday, so it yeah. doesn't really matter. Yeah. doesn't matter. You'll Folks find us. With, yeah, exactly. Folks uh, also finding us, and with you doing so as well, we get a chance at the top of our second hour, Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, to visit with our community reporters. Today we're checking in with our community reporter in St. John's, Newfoundland. Kim Thistle joins us. Kim, a lot on the table here to talk about, so forgive me. Welcome back. Let's uh, dive right in if we can. Uh, Jive dance. Oh, I know. Have you ever jive danced? Have the you old, ever done the old hand jive? jive right? That's yeah. all I remember, right? Hand, <laughs> hand jive. jive. Yes, from the Grease yeah. movie. Yeah. No, yeah. this is um, this is free session being offered at CNIB, and it, I mean, I love one that is free, and two that is being inclusive and offered through the CNIB for five weeks, starting Monday, February fifth to Monday, March fourth, and it's a, you need to register with a partner, so contact Kelly Kelly Pico at the CNIB and I think it'll be a lot of fun and and it's from 6 30 to 8 o'clock I don't know how to jive and I'm so I'm looking forward to it. I put on I google jive dancing and you get from different extremes to like very very you know fast 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 and very competitive yeah. 
So I said, let's go beginner and beginner. It looks like fun. It looks like something really nice to do with, you know, your partner and you're twirling around and you're kicking your feet. So I think it's going to be fun. So yeah. check it out. I think it's B&I 50 B. style, right? It's 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 the 50s. It is with 50s. All that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I remember having to do it for a play I was in back when I was a teenager and we had oh, to learn. Yeah. We so had that, a that really cool. 50s style like oh, day. Oh, years ago. Uh, no, oh. like in grade eight, we had a teacher oh, who was super Miss Nyarkos, yeah, <laughs> who was very <laughs> obsessed with the fifties and with um. Oh God, I'll, I'll get back to you on the other person. He was, she was obsessed with. But anyway, she was obsessed with the fifties, so she'd do like a full fifties themed day. Everything, oh. like you'd have to get in gear and costume, and the dances were there, and every like absolutely everything fifties. It was, you know, she'd do floats and all this kind of stuff. The whole school would participate. Wow, it was very oh, fun. But the jive yeah, was that, involved in that. Yeah, uh, Bill Haley and know, Fast Domino, all those guys with that, right? Mm. Yes. So if we're really, really good, who knows? We end up with a concert or something. And I'm only just kidding. <laughs> C and I B gang jiving, not jive talking. Jive. Jive talking. That's Saturday Night Live. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, this sounds fun. And of course, if it wasn't fun, you wouldn't bring it to us, right, Kim? Right. Sense. Exactly. And I'm look. I'm signed up for it. So I'm looking forward to it. And I have a girlfriend that she'd be willing to be a partner for anybody looking for someone as well. So yeah, as I said, mm-hmm. contact Kelly Pico. Do you want me to give the website her email? Sure. To do that yes, full please. email, or we attach that later. No, no. Uh, go ahead. Okay, so yeah. kelly.pico, P-I-C-C-O, at cnib.ca. So, as I said, have a partner to register, male or female. Like I said, you know, I don't think it means my girlfriend said, oh, you need to have a male partner. But I'm thinking if you're doing it for fun, whatever. Yeah. Go with <laughs> Maybe someone's friends. supposed to be the lead. I don't know. But I like the pictures you have there. So, we can do it. Check it out. I think getting okay. out and being inclusive. It's fun. It makes the days go faster. Uh, also, tell us about Songs and Yarns with the Newfoundland and Labrador Folk Art Society. Well, this is something that's if you're a knitter, and I'm sure if you don't really knit, you can still go down, but my good good friend is a knitter. So they say coming together as a group of people knitting, and it's, some, it's at the Folk, Folk Art Society put it up at Bannerman Brewery. So above the brewery, have a pint, you know, or get a, you know, get a little flight, try out the, the beer. It's every, every first Tuesday, yeah, first Tuesday of every month, and it's $10 from 7 to 9 p.m. So as you're knitting, you listen to great, great music and yarns. And yarns are the stories. And I'm sure, you know, it's, it's, I think it would be a fun evening getting out, especially now in the winter. We don't get to do very much. But coming together, a group of people who love to knit and have a bit of fun together. I, w- I, wonder, if the, I wonder if the yarns, the stories are told through the songs, or if it's just like maybe your Bill Haley in the comments and Fats Domino music that spills over into the yarns. <laughs> it's hard to see. I find us and a lot of Newfoundlanders always lead into a story and then it's a song. Yes. Like, I don't know to tell you, but there's always a story connected somewhere. Mm. I love it. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. Kim, try it. Squash low vision program with the hot shots. Nice. Man, you're oh, jiving and hot shotting all over the place. I this am. I'm jiving and squashing, hot but shots. I'm not doing it same <laughs> yeah. at the same time. But I did do the four week introductory session at up in CBS, so it, it would have to arrange transportation to get there because the go bus doesn't go there. But that can be arranged. And he truly wants. To, he's a 20 year veteran of teach, coaching. Um, squash and he wants to turn it into an inclusive event so he has a neuro neurodivergent 
you know, settings, you know, group for there, plus blind and partially sighted. And he, this is a new thing. He didn't just set that up and say, oh, okay, I'm going to do it. He, re- he reached out to the CNIB, met Kelly and Kim, and they gave him, you know, simulator glasses and he and the other coaches wore them to, to see what it would be like with low vision, glaucoma, tunnel vision, lazy eye, plus the Braille Superstore. And they re- and contacted others to see what would be um, some of the challenges for it. So I took a part of it. I just finished my four weeks. And like I said, my sister said, how are you getting in a closed room with a projectile coming at you? But I felt it was, a, I, I cannot let that ball beat me. Like, so he's eric is his head coach and the ball that we started off i'm going to say it was like you know three inches i found mm-hmm. that harder so he the next following week he went to three different stores trying to find a bigger ball for me to use and i said well maybe we might end up having to use a beach ball but the point is that the true <laughs> exactly well, so well, I... they move slower though right it sounds exactly silly, and but i might for be volleyball at least it gives you that yeah. time Exactly. Get at it. So I love that the passion and the commitment that they truly want to make this. Apologize. My dog just made a noise next to me. They truly want to make this an inclusive activity. And it was frustrating. Like I sometimes I can rally it back five times, but the coaches mm-hmm. work with you and I give you a suggestion, like maybe bounce it off the wall on the sidewall yeah. and then do that and, you know, keep your racket up. And so each week I've been building on a skill that I learned the previous week. And wow. I just love the passion and the commitment and they really want to make that happen. I can give you his email as well. Please, mm-hmm. please. Yeah. E, e, like Eric, E dot her, H-A-R-T at N-L dot Rogers dot com. So he's the main guy to check it out. Sundays from one forty-five to 3 p.m., and it's a beautiful facility too to go. And that's my picture squashing. you have showing and, there. <laughs> and squashing with the hot shots. I love the name hot yeah. shots because it's such Isn't a, a fitting cute? name. And, and you know what? When I used to do volleyball that way, we used a ball that went over and it was slower. So you could almost hear it as well as, as it turned in the air, but it gave you that chance. So so maybe really great, Kim. That's fun. Sounds fun. And he does have a ball that has sound in it too. So we've been trying yeah. different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a passion project, right? So it's a bit of an experiment. Yes. The community wants to be part of that. Uh, tell us about A Case for Mason by William McCleary. This is based on the Perry Mason Mysteries by Earl Stanley Gardner. What's going on here? So, so I'm really excited about this as well. I mean, it seems like I'm loving seeing... I've just talked about different things that are very inclusive for, for you know, anyone I know. with disabilities. So and much going on in the now. Right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So this is done by Power Productions, and he this is a gentleman. He himself has a, a disability, so he's truly working to bring accessible and his audio description one day like it's just probably performing over three days but on saturday february 18th the case as i say perry mason murder your shrewd wife and who did it and that mm-hmm. who done it but i love the fact that it's audio description and it's being offered so i booked my ticket 35 dollars. the attendant can come with me for free i pick up my headset when i get there and i'm getting the opportunity to get the whole scene that's going on. So I, I'm really encouraging us in the in the, in our community to get out when we have these opportunities being offered to us. Because my biggest fear is that they're offering it and no one goes and they'll end yes. up, I know. we'll lose it. 
And we talk about this all the time, like there's definitely a trust building process with the community because things weren't offered for so long and now even if they are, we either A, don't know about it or B, don't care enough about it or there's other restrictions and limitations that right. are still being kind of, you know, uh, figured out, if you will. But right. you're right and, and the only way to do that is to keep talking about it and keep getting excited about yeah. the, the opportunities. Yeah, and check it out. Mm -hmm. Perfect. This is uh, only one, right? Like the the audio described performance of yes, it. Yes, it's only okay. it's only at LSPU Hall, and I forgot to add the it, the, the website, but I think it's lspuhall.ca or something like that. If you if you put in the main website, and it will show you the different yeah. events, the venues that are coming up, and Power Production is mm -hmm. who's putting. Also, it up. the story sounds really juicy. Very I amazing. think so. You know, a murder mystery thriller. Yeah. All those uh, Perry Mason, great old-time radio stuff. I know when my theater troupe, when we wanted to do a fundraiser, we would recreate old radio shows because most times there was no copyright to worry about. They were just oh. enough length. But because the scripts were so wordy, they would become their own one-act show of 45 minutes or so because if you did it to real theater time and tried to perform it with movement, it would take a lot longer than doing it as a radio play. Or a, So we we had a great time. We, we, we had a lot uh. of success. And the coolest thing is most people weren't into old radio, so it was some new story. You know, I don't know who this Richard Diamond guy is, just mm. like the Perry Mason thing. It will capture yeah. a brand new audience uh, who have never heard, read the books or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, Thanks, that's Kim. a great thing. And I don't know if it's done like a radio show. So I'm assuming it would yeah, have be very there. interesting. They they might do yeah. it that way, but because of the books, because of the comics and stuff like that, it, it may be done that way too. They may have actually, and I believe there's actual plays out there too of Perry Mason. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. So I'll talk to you next month. You bet, Kim. Enjoy the shows. Wow. Uh, community reporter. In St. John's, that's Kim Thistle joining us. We talk to Kim, as we do all our community reporters, once a month, right here on Kelly and Ramya. It's nice when we have so many things we got to squeeze in with community mm. reports. After the break, we are learning about the secret world of sound. From the nature of things, this is an audio-focused special premiering on CBC TV and CBC Gem mid-February. So we're going to learn all about it with the producer and writer. We'll be right back. Catching up with the community on Kelly and Rumia. We like to check in from across Canada, from our disability communities, and uh, figure out what's going on in your neighborhood and your neighborhood and your neighborhood. And that includes anything from theater and arts to just lifestyle and sports and recreation to how you're doing and how you're feeling and the different kinds of advocacy and things like that. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining us. We are here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. It's Kelly and Ramia. Got a little film talk earlier. Kim just mentioned Perry Mason and a theatrical production. And one of the questions we left there was the fact that it was going to have description. But in what style was it going to be? Mm -hmm. A play of an old-time radio yeah. show version of Perry Mason or what? So it really had you thinking about maybe sound opportunities. Well, The Secret World of Sound is a three-part special from The Nature of Things. Premiering February 15th, this uses new technology to put sound 
at center stage, the way we kind of like that, I will say, and tell the untold story of animals' lives using sound. We have our guest joining us today, Dougal Maudsley, writer and executive producer for Secret World of Sound on the program and joins us here on Kelly and Ramya. Thanks for being with us. Boy, are we excited for this conversation. Mm -hmm. Great. Good. Me too. Well, let's talk a little bit about the series, the three parts. Um, tell us first about the special in the sense of describe it to us, how this will be carried off and what inspired it. Well, it's kind of unique because normally yeah. natural history programs that focus on animals really focus on the pictures, right? We're used yes. to seeing those beautiful images and we've got those too. But in this series, we decided to put sound first and really look at animal behavior through sound and the way they use sound to hunt, to survive, to survive childhood, to find a mate, to see off a rival. So all of those kind of things are going to be explored across the three um, episodes. And I think what inspired it really was just the idea that, you know, we've looked at animals in so many different ways, but has anybody really dug into sound? And the answer is no, not really, not in this degree. And we also have this technology at our hands that allows us to get inside that world of animal sound in a way that we haven't in the past. Yeah, well, we're so excited as blind people. We always heard for all of our lives, oh, you know, a picture tells a thousand words. And, you know, hey, put 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 the pictures out there. Show that. It says so much. And we've always said, yeah, but what about the sound that tells us so much? We have a trailer. Let's, let's before we get on with further questions, Ram has a few things to ask you off the hop here when we come out of this. But let's take a listen to a, a view of a trailer for the show. Nature is full of sound. Now, we're getting a glimpse inside this hidden world. To survive, some baby animals use sound even before their birth. Others wield it to defeat their rivals or compete with their siblings in a struggle for food. <laughs> Using the latest audio technology, we enter this secret world to reveal how baby animals rely on sound to stay alive when the odds are stacked against them. Wow, that was great. That was so good. Oh my goodness. Okay, so I'm uh, like loving this because of course it's sound first, right? And so it, first yeah. of all, it evokes like a lot of feeling and emotion, I think, to hear some mm -hmm. of these sounds and especially in this compilation, the way that we did in the trailer. Um, and it's not usual, right? To have sound as kind of center stage in a TV series like this. So why did you feel like this was a really appropriate or interesting, uh, engaging way to do this, but on TV? Yeah, yeah, it seems counterintuitive, doesn't mm. it? But actually, you know, the, the fact that we haven't looked at sound and the way that uh, animals use it before in such a, a deep way, and, and when we started digging into it, we realized like, wow, so baby caiman, the, these little crocodiles communicate with each other before they even hatch in order to hatch at the same time to increase their survival. Flamingos, 
their voices are like a vocal fingerprint so that when mom and dad leave and have to leave their baby in the daycare with thousands of other baby flamingos, they can come back and they can find their baby because they all looked identical. Um, you know, it was like thing after thing that made us realize, wow, there's stuff about these animals we don't know. And then secondly, by looking at those stories, we realized they were really dramatic stories. When you actually realize, hey, this sound means this, then you understand the kind of drama that's, that's playing out there. And so every one of our stories in the series, some way by actually getting inside that secret world, by being able to hear those sounds, you realize, oh, this is going on. Wow, tremendous drama. And uh, it's fascinating. And it's a new way of looking at animals. Wow. I, I, I get caught listening and I say just settling back and listening to Love Nature because a lot of the shows, I just love that sound, the surround sound yeah. in my system and everything like that. Yeah. But as you talked about here, we're going to learn about these sounds, the communication sounds, but capturing it is where I'm so curious. And you guys are using mm. groundbreaking technology. Can we get, and we've heard some, can you talk a little bit about that, how you guys captured how what equipment maybe was there anything particularly that an audience member that us that we can grab onto and say oh my gosh because this is some herculean feat <laughs> well it certainly took a lot of effort and a lot of time in the field one of the pieces of equipment we use is called a vibrometer and basically what it is is a laser beam that picks up vibrations uh, on the surface of something and it's used in industry uh, to test a plane, to make sure that the plane's not shaking too much and a wing might fall off or mm -hmm. to find a rattle in a car or something like that. And so what we decided to do was use it because what we discovered talking to scientists is there are 200,000 species out there that communicate in ways that we can't even hear. And if you look at all the sound that's out there in the animal kingdom, there's more sound that we can't hear than we can. Yeah. So by using the vibrometer, we were able to listen to, for example, there it is, the tiny tree hopper. Um, and that's the vibrometer on the table there. We basically went out to use that machine so we could pick up the sound of these tree hoppers. And the sounds are amazing. Like one sounds, that one sounds like a hen clucking. Mm. Um, and what we also discovered was that the male tree hopper and the female tree hopper sing a duet to each other so they can find each other on a plant. The male sings, the oh. female answers, the male goes in search of her. And uh, and he's got a time limit because there's probably other males out there also tuning into these songs. But by using that vibrometer, we were able to hear those sounds. And otherwise, we wouldn't have been able to. This That's is amazing. so interesting. Oh, oh, oh. Are there um, sounds that you're capturing? Like we heard some of the, the effects of like the waterways and other things like that, right? To give us different understanding of atmosphere of where these animals are as well. Was there anything particularly interesting about capturing sound that isn't necessarily coming from an, from an animal directly? Um, well, we, we actually had to um, get under the water. Mm -hmm. And what we discovered was that under the water, there are an amazing set of sounds. Like for human beings, we don't think of that. We just think of it almost as being this silent realm. Right. But actually, fish are making noises. Uh, animals are chewing away on coral reefs. Um, claws are snapping. Beaks are going. There's a lot happening under there. And by using a hydrophone, we were able to pick up that sound. Um, and we were able to find out that the clownfish you know, Saving Nemo, the clownfish actually <laughs> uses that sound of a healthy reef to find its way back to the reef oh, after wow. having spent time away uh, growing up and, and, and getting to a size. 
it chooses where it's going to live based on the sound of the reef. The louder the sound, the healthier the reef, that's how the wow, animal chooses where it's sense. going to be. Oh my gosh. So for wow. me, that was a bit of a mind blower. I had no idea that, you know, under the water, there was all this noise going on and that that noise was actually pretty vital. Yeah. Wow, what a lot of traffic. How did you guys in the editing process, or where would this begin, filter out what you didn't need? I mean, you're using equipment to get sounds that we can't hear. Obviously, you're grabbing other things you don't want. Yeah, true, so true. You know, we actually had, we did this as a co-production with uh, Humblebee Films in Bristol, which is the heart of natural uh, history filmmaking in the world. And they're extremely good at all this sort of stuff. We captured thousands of hours of sound, thousands and thousands. We had recorders going all over the place when we we filmed the elk in uh, Waterton Lakes National Park in Alberta. We had um, uh, sound recorders that we attached trees to try to pick up sound because we couldn't get very close to the elk. Mm. So Humblebee had the task of, of sifting through all of these hours and hours and hours of material, searching for, you know, the bugle of the elk or the mm. squeaking sound of a fish or the sound that you saw on the trailer of the caimans, you know, squeaking right. to each other in the eggs. And then that sound had to be connected up to the pictures that had been shot by a whole other group of, of talented cameramen. So that process took place over about a year and a half of constantly tracking, constantly adding sound to the pictures as the, the directors and the teams and the edit suites cut them. The track layers would put those sounds together. And you'll see when you watch the film, it's quite amazing. There's sound in the foreground, there's sound in the, you know, where the main action is. And if you keep your eye on the background, you'll see that there's all sound is all connected at all of the different levels. So you're really just immersed in this natural right. history experience, this natural sound experience, which is, you know, really quite um, amazing, I think. Oh, it sounds amazing. I mean, the trailer alone gave us insight on just the the different dynamics, the relationships, the the stages of life for these different animals, and first of all, how many animals are being featured here. It's unbelievable uh, having to curate this and take it down to only a three-part series. It's, it's wild yeah. to me that, you know, that in itself is uh, such a project. But I'm very curious about how much of the making of this was for you um, learning and researching as you go versus things that are already out there that you're just trying to communicate to us this way through sound and in this series? You know, it's a bit of everything because scientists are always out there discovering new things. And so we were keeping an eye on that. So, for example, the plain fidman shipman, which is a fish that sings uh, off the west coast of Canada and the United States, where there had been research done about the plain fidman shipman, we knew uh, a lot about its behavior. But it hadn't been featured before because it's a really oh. difficult fish to, to film. It does a lot of this activity at night. Okay. So part of the challenge for us was... That's an amazing story about sound. We haven't seen or heard that story before. How do we capture it? Um, right. And so we had to do that. There were other cases where we uncovered uh, new science as we went. Uh, the Great Grey Owl, which uh, we filmed in Alberta, uh, uses amazing hearing to figure out where its prey is. But we never understood how it overcame the way that snow changes sound. Because you know that so yes. dampens sound, oh, but it yes. also... It also bends it, right? Um, it changes where it's coming from. And we all know that quiet sound on a snowy day. So the scientists that we work with use the acoustic camera, another piece of cool technology, to visualize 
where the sound was. And they realized it was the, the volve was over here, but the sound was coming out way over here, but you know, a meter and a half away. And that the great gray owl was actually uh, reducing the impact that the snow had on sound by getting over top of its uh, prey where the sound was least affected by the snow. And so that was new, brand new science just uncovered. And mm. that features in our story about the great gray owl, which is, of course, also an extremely beautiful uh, story, all shot in the winter. But it was that oh, yeah. science that allowed us to realize, oh, this is what's going on. This is how it's using its hearing. This is how it gets its prey. So how many of those instances would you say happen in this series, or maybe we don't even get to see it left on the cutting room floor, of scientific discoveries were found sound, things that you guys were doing that maybe others who would have loved to, scientists, doctors, but maybe not necessarily had the funding or whatever reason to investigate. How many of those discoveries do you, you feel you guys literally had? I think we did pretty well. I mean, the other the big one for us was the way that uh, sound is being used now um, to help recover and regenerate reefs. And uh, we featured the Australia. And, you know, if we hadn't been there to do that story, you know, would that story have been told by other people? Maybe it would. But we've pretty put a lot of energy into, you know, the mechanism that helps the clownfish find its way back to the reef is the same mechanism that's being used by these scientists to draw other fish to the reef and fish on a reef help those reefs regenerate and grow again. Yes. So, you know, it's 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 stuff like that that I think we were able to, you know, uh, give an opportunity to be heard literally and and I think makes a big difference. It's not like we were breaking science, you know, from episode to episode to episode, we weren't, but we were actually revealing the way that animals behave by looking in a different way at them, not just at what you could see, but as you appreciate, what you could hear. And it's oh, that yeah. world that gave us this whole new view on, on what was going on that we might not have realized before. Do you have any um, particular dynamic or, or maybe just the sound itself, but uh, some dynamic that you that sticks with you that kind of makes you feel like, oh, this was so worth it to capture this in sound. For me, it was hearing in the trailer about the, the siblings. I can't remember yeah, the exact context. Yeah, fighting context. each other. Yes, yeah, so adorable. No yeah. we got to come out in <laughs> well, forces, the Cayman. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. well, the meerkats are quite amazing. Um, I mean, first of all, I was totally taken by the midshipman. This this fish is rather un un unattractive-looking fish that, that makes this amazing, deep, booming sound, this, yeah. this kind of note. But also the meerkats, the way that they actually have a whole series of different sounds that they make to alert each other. This sound is, there's a predator in the air. This sound is, there's a predator on the ground. This sound is, oh there's a snake on the ground. Like to me, that was mind boggling that these animals could develop and, and, and communicate to each other. This is what that means. This is what this means as a way of staying safe in a very dangerous environment in the yeah. Kalahari Desert in, in Botswana. So that was great. That was that was an eye opener or an ear opener for me, for sure. Wow, phenomenal. Well, first of all, thank you guys all for putting this together. This I am looking wicked. so forward to it. Thanks for making time to come on our show today. And hopefully we, we stir up a lot of interest, at least from those of us who rely so much on hearing, but also the introduction of taking a chance, listening to something like this instead of walking so much with people's eyes, let your ears do a little of the, the walking. Mm -hmm. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. That was uh, Dougal Modsley.
writer and executive producer of The Secret World of Sound. This is from The Nature of Things, and it premieres on CBC Television on February 15th. You can also find it on CBC Gen. So cool. Cannot wait. We got such a good teaser of it right now. After the break, we have our monthly book club review. This is on the last Tuesday of every month, and we're discussing The Emperor of the North, Sir George Simpson, and the remarkable story of the Hudson's Bay Company by James Raffan. Kelly recommended it. We're going to go through our impressions of the book after the break on Kelly and Ramia. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. We're back with you. It's Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv, AMI-audio, and on podcasts. And we're here with our monthly book club. So on the last Tuesday of every month, we like to review a book that we've been reading, Kelly and I hopefully, reading. Um, and we uh, gave you guys, let's see, December and January for the last book because we didn't have our book club in December. Has it felt like forever, girls, since we had a book forever. club? Yeah. Two months. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah, we do it every year, but it's still kind of throws us off. always feels it. Yeah. I know. I know. Um, anyways, like I said, last Tuesday of the month, this time Kelly recommended a book. And by the way, we get recommendations from anybody and everybody, whether it be coworkers or members of the community or you, the listener. Uh, so we get into the authors, the books, the narrators we love or didn't necessarily appreciate. But we so will in give my you... defense, it came out of nowhere. I was told, "Hey, you're recommending the book today." I was like you, what? it's your turn. What yeah. you got to find one? What? Yeah, you didn't do any for 2023. I haven't been asked for not even 2022, 2021. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't been asked Jeff's for Jeff's in the office. He's he's coming up soon too, Jeffy. Yeah, he laughed at the length of this book as if he would have read it. I know. I know. It was like 18 hours. I was like, what? Anyway, yeah. um, we're talking about The Emperor of the North, Sir George Simpson, and the remarkable story of the Hudson's Bay Company by James Raffan. Kels, you recommended it. Give me, first of all, like a five-second review. You know, one or two words. You ever hear of Welcome Back, Cotter? Vinnie Barbarino, the character on it? What? No. What are you saying? What? Where? <laughs> you act like I read it. Um, you know, Rum, I would sum it up simply. I, I, I kind of was hoping you'd go with your original first question. No. because I think I can. I want to throw it, you it off. It does a little bit more justice. Um, it's a book about a, a character, and I say character even though he's certainly definitely a true figure. Um, and if you like, no, let me start with, you get to learn about his flawed life. Mm -hmm. You get to learn about what I consider now some amazing feats of physical activity, rowing across Canada, mm -hmm. uh, snowshoeing across Canada in snow, and making 30 miles a day. So you hear about these things and stop and say, wow. And then you have to remind yourself, this is the earliest days of one of Canada's longest running companies, I guess the longest running company yeah. in Canada, the Hudson Bay Company, and how it started, what they were about as the world took like their fascination to the height when they were buying beaver pelts and they were buying after furs and these things launched into other things um, besides that in the Northwest Company uh, until they were able to work together and merge. Um, I mean, phenomenal stuff. And it really humbled me on the level of 
man, all Canada was was a bunch of woods back then. The oh. whole world was basically that. And you start realizing, no, there was a lot more organization in governments, conversations between governments such as Canada, Russia, and other parts of Europe and China really kind of made you stop and, and realize, which which was really rum the interest I had about the company, you think, oh, okay, it's always fun to see how a company started. Somebody mm. sitting around eating their oatmeal and says, you know what, I think I'm going to sell beer. Okay, John Labatt, go crazy. All right, you're all happy about that. But when you see a company that's already at the start of this book in existence, and this gentleman goes to work for them in London, England, and ends up in Canada tramping all around, doing different things, and what goes on, it's it's really something else. It's something else. And that else. was my interest. And okay, that's what I was going to say. So that's why you wanted to pick up this book because this is your first read through it. Right? I've been fast, yeah, and I've been fast. Well, I say fascinated. I, I first got, you know, in touch with this as a student in school when we were doing history, and okay. this was some of our history work. And I thought, wow, the Voyageur is really cool. Going to doing the boating, these guys singing along and 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 working their way on their canoes, picking up pelts, carting loads, like just amazing people staying very spirited, working with the Indigenous community. Mm. And we hear about some of that in the book and, and, and stuff like that. It was probably a book we wouldn't have read in school due to the fact that there's a lot of talking about racism and ignorant stuff like that, that these people back in that, that time were about. Mm -hmm. That's all they knew, if you want to, you know, just kind of simplify it like that. Um, but how they had to utilize people they may not have been comfortable to use, may not have appreciated, respected in so many ways. You learn some of these snapshots of relations between Canada and other, uh, Canada, London, England, England itself, Russia, China, and the and the United States, and so many other places. And you're really talking about like the macro of what's being featured in the book, right? The content mm -hmm. around the company, sure. around Canada's relationship to it, around the exploration of all of this, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm very and one curious. man really wrong. That's what I, I was going to ask. I, I, no, I don't. I mean, I would have liked to have known more of the business side, but there's tons of books out there about it. That, sure. That, you know, and you, articles you want to learn. and other ways yeah. to do it. But this yeah, and, really and got into... Yeah, this really got into the biography of him. Uh, yes. And, you know, from childhood onwards, and it was, I, I would say, we should have read it in school because it felt like a textbook. That's, oh, yeah. that's my that's my summary of how I felt, a summary of a review of how I felt about this book. Like, wow, we really got into the details. Um, but... I'm curious about whether that drew you in later, even if it wasn't necessarily the initial reason why you wanted to pick up this thing. Um, did learning about him, learning about his flaws, as you said, and his well, just, I don't know, upbringing and kind of just the, the turmoil of things he was tossed into from childhood school days onwards, did that draw you in in any way or fascinate you I, as you read? I think his ego. This guy thought himself something. True. He could True. do things like, I mean, walk 30 miles, snowshoe, 30 miles in a day. Yeah. All right. With no with no difficulty for 61 days straight covering over 1,900 miles. This is what this guy could do and had to do to do his work. He was hard on other people, but yet walking with the voyagers, portaging across land, he would hide underneath the canoe and walk underneath while, and protect himself from the sun and rain while these guys walked, sang, and everything like mm. that. So he had those kinds of sides. He pl plus, we learn as the story goes on about the health issues he, he had, conflicts with other people. So he seemed to be a bit bigger than life, but so many of the characters 
kind of did. And the pompousness of and arrogance of some of the other characters um, that you'd meet. The, the world as large as it was, a lot of the crossing that characters had with each other in the story made it seem a little small. Um, and probably because there weren't that many people forging their More way through Canada doing, exactly. in the 1920s, right? Doing what it they just, were doing. Do you yeah, think that was exceptional? Like, I know he thought it was exceptional, but do you think it was exceptional for the time period in the way that it was no. presented? Not when you looked at the, at the for the fact that the Russians were doing this since 1780s, going through Canada, getting pelts and stuff like that, um, as as they refer to them in the book. Um, that that was being done. So not really. And and these other characters, um, whether they be the indigenous characters, the voyagers, the the French voyagers, they were all just tough people making a living. Mm -hmm. um, where we found the ego was in Simpson's character to a point, um, but also we got to learn to see some of his tender side, but we also got to learn his negotiating side. And when he had to be fair, even with people he did not like or thought they were his lesser, mm. um, you still saw the reasoning that had to be as a businessman, as a representative of Hudson Bay. Yeah, and I think that's what fascinates me, which is like the the character of or the uh, leveling up the hustler side of him. You know, like yeah. just having because it starts slow, rum. Right. I, I like. Oh, Very. I mean, I love learning about Very. the different industry, especially in London. You have London. You learn about what's going on. You see, it's a vibrant place. He jumps on the boat to go across and ends up in New York. You know, to get into Canada, mm -hmm. uh, then has to venture up the Hudson River to get into Canada. Um, to to begin this, where he leaves from uh, the Lachine Rapids, well, that's what I called it because that's why I remember it as a kid, but from Lachine, um, the where, where he actually would call home when he was in Canada, but you're talking a one-month trip to get to New York from 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 the civilization of London mm -hmm. and, and everything like that, to get to New York and then to venture to Canada and get moving across country and the routes and places he had to regularly go. And when I say regularly, maybe you visited once a year, maybe once every three years, walking, boating, and that's the way you moved. Right. The landscape is so interesting to read. I always enjoyed mm -hmm. this aspect, like uh, when Greg David recommended his book, which I can't even remember that, what the too. heck it's called now. Me yeah. Too. But that kind of thing where we're just following characters along journeys is uh, quite fascinating because it feels like you're no living vicariously. Really. No discussion yeah. of horses. They're very yeah. little. Exactly. You're you're taking in kind of a, a whole different time frame, obviously, because of it being historical. Um, let's talk about the digestibility. As we said, it's like 18 plus hours, as far as I remember. And I am not even halfway through it yet. You're more than halfway through it. For me, the digestibility of this book was just like very difficult. Very difficult because of the way it was written, because of the way that it is read um, on Sela. It's a, an older um, yeah, recording. Yes. I was hoping you bring that up. Yeah. yeah. It, to me, it's... Um, the footnotes. It's from a different era notes. when you... Yeah, and yeah. it's from an era when you did not have hired paid readers, I believe. They mm -hmm. were volunteers, but they were also far more for education, university courses, that kind of background. So you got your description of reader's note. And those kinds of things yep. that now with so many books that we are reading, it's not meant for this. This is definitely a book meant for an educational process of oh, some clearly, sort. Oh, clearly, clearly. It, it feels like something, like I said, a, a textbook or textbook adjacent experience because as interesting as the content is, I'd say that the way that the book was written is not for the casual reader. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I don't think, and again, as we work our way through it, you're going to find that climax. The whole thing is a historical book telling you what went on. And yeah, I mean, your climax will be in the death of this man and, and so on, and the, the, the contribution he made to Hudson Bay and where, where it is. But even Hudson Bay itself, we're not hearing that much at this point through the book. I have not really noticed anything on its success. Mm. We know it's a big company, big success, what it does, but we're not hearing a lot about, and I guess somebody may correct me, you know, I guess probably we are hearing how the company itself was, the work of the company, and, and that. But I do enjoy it. I love the pictures that are painted, Ron. Well, I think that now, you know, for today's generation, I guess, people growing up now, we wouldn't even understand the legacy of the Hudson's Bay Company if we didn't dive into the subject no. like this, right? No, you would never know. No. Because to us, Hudson Bay is going in and grabbing stuff off the racks <laughs> and so on. It's a department Not story, even yeah. remotely like what this is. <laughs> exactly. And right, like we don't understand the impact, the historical um, kind of stamp of Canada, uh, all the... I don't know, all the things that it took to actually build this, to transform it, to make it into what it is, and the people who've had to put it in, and from for how long? You know, the time oh, exactly. frame is unreal to me. As you said, the longest-standing company, but it, that means so much more than we just think of it as, right? Well, and this is, and we have to understand, it's a snapshot in the history of a 300 and whatever it is, almost 400-year-old company. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, Kelly, it was an interesting um, bit of reading, for me at least. Are you going to continue? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I think so. I've got a bunch lined up, though, but I will guarantee that yeah. next time you throw at me, yeah, what'd you say you're gonna recommend? The book. it'll be probably a Spencer for Hire <laughs> okay. or something like that. There'll be some proper killing with a big browning Thanks. automatic or something. Thanks. Just to show variety, you know, if yeah, not just anything, to show. as a recommender. Instead of me trying to show, I don't just read Westerns or killer books, honestly. Uh, you recommended The City by Dean Koontz as the first recommender, uh, recommendation yeah. ever on the well, book club. Right. So there you go. I remember. Thanks, girls. Uh, next okay. month, we got a book for you as well. It's called Actress. It's by Annan Wright. It was released in 2020, and uh, it's a an Irish uh, writer that Danielle McLaughlin absolutely loves, and she's the one who recommended it for us. It's human narration available on Sela. It is available on Audi uh, Audible, obviously, and it's about Catherine O'Dell, an Irish uh, legend. Um and her daughter, Nora, and it's about these two women as they retrace, or, or the daughter retraces the mother's uh, uh, life, celebrated career in bohemian life. She delves into long-held secrets about her mother and, of course, has secrets of her own as well. Catherine, behind her career uh, in the Irish truck circuit before making it to London's West End Broadway and finally Hollywood. There's a lot of performance, a lot of intrigue around uh, the sexuality and life of the mother as well as the daughter. I really want to get into it and give you a proper synopsis mm, later on because we're running out of time. But we are discussing it on the last Tuesday of February, which is the 27th of the month. So tune in, hang out, and read the book along with us. Give us your comments, feedback at ami.ca. We'll be right back after the break. We're going to wrap up the show with you. And I'm going to give you some tips on how to be frugal in 2024 for your betterment. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break.
We are at the end, almost, of Kelly and Ramia, the Tuesday edition. It's uh, been a nice ride today. Lots of variety of content that you can reflect on and revisit and re-listen to on your favorite podcast platform. You can also, of course, check out repeats of the show. First airing of the show every weekday is um, at 4 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio right after 2 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv. And then we got some other repeats throughout the day. So keep in mind and check out uh, the show whenever it's most convenient for you. Kels, I want to get to now with Dave Brown because they've got a show coming up tomorrow morning, Wednesday edition of the show. What do they got lined up? Well, starting at 9 a.m. in the morning, experts are sounding the alarm for improved preventive measures to deal with snowpack, which is the accumulation of snow layers on the environment. Dr. Annabella Bonata from the uh, Impact Center on Climate Adaptations will discuss some of those considerations. Being mindful of our health can be a demanding process. We know that, folks. Mm -hmm. 14% of folks do not have access to a family physician. Now, this is the, the recent uh, statistics that are out. A health and wellness uh, expert, uh, or excuse me, advocate, Shane Baker, will offer some guidance to keep on top of those medical appointments while trying to find that doctor. And... Kevin Shaw will discuss the recent layoffs at Sports Illustrated and the Los Angeles uh, Times and what is being lost with these decisions. So remember, 9 a.m. in the morning, great conversations, a bunch of them coming your way from now with Dave Brown, also available as a podcast. All angles of business with Kevin Shaw. That's awesome. Um, I have some tips for you, which I found on BuzzFeed. And these are frugal tips people swear by for 2024. So tips from them to us. There were 22 tips on this in this article, but I just picked out a couple of my favorites slash like, what? So here we go. Being frugal isn't just about spending less money. It's also a way of life that aims to create less waste, get, get more use out of our possessions, and enjoy the the things in life that don't come with a price. I like that as a sentiment. Um, so buy things on Wednesdays. Groceries, gas, costs, Costco, and even Amazon are being done on Wednesdays. And this person says, if I think I need something, I wait until the next Wednesday. And by that time, I usually don't need or want it anymore anyway. So it's kind of like that delayed gratification thing, you know, do not hit the buy button. <laughs> Eat down your pantry and freezer. Most people will be shocked at how many meals they have just sort of sitting around. This person also keeps a scraps bag in the freezer with all kinds of like skins and uh, peels and things in it for use of stock later. I love that. Also, number three on my list, pick a store and get really good at using their award system. That's an easy one, right, Kels? Mm -hmm, Even if you yeah. can't, don't have time or don't have the capacity or don't have the wallet space for all the awards points, at least your main grocery store, I think. That's right. Something. At least one or two, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, this one's a really good hint. Watch who and what you follow on social media. So this yeah, person yeah. unfollowed a whole bunch of influencers who were over-consuming. I love following the ones that teach you to shop your closet. That's a really, really good one, and we oversight this one all the time. Check out the markdown racks at your grocery stores, of course. Find an affordable, comfortable, good pair of whatever you want, jeans, shoes, tops, whatever, and buy multiples of it online when the price is right. This way, not only do you save money, but hear this, you save the time that you would usually spend on wasting your time shopping. Here, here. Uh, stop buying paper towels. 
some per one person said, like, uh, use your rags, use old T-shirts, use whatever you need in your house so that you're reusing things and laundering them rather than buying paper towels. They send they sent an actual dollar amount of amount that they uh, saved not buying paper towels. That's it. I'll stop it there. Next show of Kelly and Remya is tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern, live on AMI-TV. We are talking about Taylor Swift uh, performing in Japan in front of her boyfriend. Ooh, Karen Mendes is going to talk about that on our entertainment update. A few weeks back, the K&R team ventured out to W.S. McDonald to catch up with the short-term placement program. We share some highlights and interviews with students and organizers. I can't help it. I'm still thinking yuck when I say Taylor Swift because of Brock Richardson, his fault. Tune us tomorrow for more Kelly and Rumia. Our book uh, that we talked about, the one I recommended for, for our monthly book conversation, as we ask you to read along with us, Sir George Simpson, and of course his involvement with the formation of the Hudson Bay Company. Uh, I can't even say formation, but leading to the success of it and his work. A very interesting book, and I do recommend it. It's a long one, though. And if history or those kinds of storytelling is not your thing, maybe not. But it's very interesting as we read along and we started doing this, you start getting the idea maybe you want to give thumbs up on everything. And you start realizing, no, no, whether it's narrators, whether it's the book itself, not your cup of tea, that's okay, whether you have real plausible reasons or not. You hope to be able to express that, but for what I may dislike in a book, someone else might like and want to check it out, and we don't want to discourage that. But I think we had to, when we started doing it, realize that's okay. That's everyone's choice, whether they follow us or say, yeah, you guys don't know what you're talking about. That sounds interesting. I'm going to read it. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think also being honest, how far am I? Did I get through it? Could I stand to get through it? I've always hated to admit not finishing a book. It's just, no, 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 I finished it, no matter how much I hated it. Maybe then I could just use that time to whine and complain about wasting my time reading it. But you can't know until you're done, right? And I think that's some of the coolest things to learn about doing the book of the month. Um, I'm also able to step out. Rummy asked me to pick this time, and it was kind of like on a spur of the moment. I had to go in. What books am I thinking of reading? What do I? Oh, this George, Sir George Simpson. Yeah, I'll suggest that. Because I find myself trying to get away from the books I love to read, my detective stuff and things like Spencer for Hire and all those kinds of books, Alex Cross and so on. I want to try to, with the book of the month, make sure I read it. And at least then I can say I am trying different genres, different styles, learning different things. And generally, 80% uh, of the time, I enjoy the book. May not overwhelmingly, but I certainly very seldom dislike it. Um, but those are some of the things as we move through, and we've done this for a while, and it just dawned on me today as we were talking, doing the show, and summing up this last book. Wow. Wow, that's so true. It has been a while. I think it's the only, yeah, the second book that I've been asked to recommend. And I think picking this one will make them leave me alone for another two years. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.